Our God is a missionary God, and we are His missionary people. You're listening to The Scent Life, the official podcast of the Center for Great Commission Studies at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. The engine of evangelism is the local church. The question we have to ask, though, is how well is your church or my church actually doing evangelism? Uh, This episode of The Scent Life, we're going to explore that question and see if we can come up with some answers. So welcome to The Scent Life. Hey, Keelan, welcome. Hey, Scott, how you doing? Good. How's it going? It's going well. Hey, man, the semester is coming to an end. It is, man. We are right there at the end. I'm eyeball deep in papers, trying to grade. (laughs) How's life at the cookhouse? We're doing good. We are. We're uh, trying to land the semester and then get ready for summer. Yeah, you got a busy summer? Uh, Not too terribly busy. We're uh, headed to Japan on one of our school mission trips over the summer. And then, of course, we've got the the SBC annual meeting coming up at the beginning of the summer. So we've got a couple of things in there. Hey, so uh, talk to me about mission trips at Southeastern. Where are we uh, taking students this summer? Yeah, so we've got four that are going out this summer, all international. One is headed to Central Asia. One is headed to Southeast Asia. One is headed to Japan and one is headed to South Korea. Wow. So we're headed kind of all over the place. These are all, for the most part, pretty far-flung, too. They're going to be a lot of travel to get there, but I'm really excited about the opportunities for students. Uh, We've got... Uh, we've really had a bumper crop of students involved this year. We've had over 100, uh, I think we're sitting in the 115 to 120 range that have either gone on one already this year or are signed up to go over the summer. So uh, I guess a quick word to everybody listening, if you'll pray with us mm. for those opportunities over the summer, that God would make much of those for the spread of the gospel, that, uh, that would be a, an encouragement to us if you do that. And that's exciting. I'm, I really am excited. You know, coming through COVID and kind of the lockdown, and now as things begin to open back up and we've got students traveling, you've done a great job uh, putting all that stuff together. Hey, today's a great day in the studio, right? Yeah, I'm very excited about what we're doing today. I was glad that we were able to snag today's guest. That's right. Today we have Dr. Chuck Lawless in here with us. Uh, Dr. Lawless has been at Southeastern for a while. Before that, he was at Southern Seminary. He also works for the International Mission Board. Chuck, welcome. Hey, thanks, Scott. Thanks, Keelan. Good to be with you. Hey, man, I'm so glad that you're here. Thanks for all that you do. And, um, you know, the theme uh, of our uh, series this semester has been evangelism. That's something that's really close to your heart. Mm-hmm. Can you talk a bit about why, of everything you could study, everything you invest your life in, why evangelism and why leading churches in evangelism is so dear to you? Yeah, it's really it's really personal, Scott. When I... When I was 12 years old, I, I didn't know anything of the gospel. Mm-hmm. I had no knowledge of the scriptures. My, my family were not believers. We didn't have a Bible in our home. Wow. I, I knew none of this until a seventh grade classmate basically got on my face with the gospel. Mm. He was, he was uh, tactless and obnoxious and rude <laughs> and uh, nonstop in his, in his event every day. He would get in my face with the gospel so much so, Scott, you know, that I I skip school some days. Wow! Because wow! I, because I didn't want to hear from. Because he would he would do things like he would meet me at the classroom door and say, "Hey, Chuck, it's a it's a good thing you live through the night." Wow! Uh, because he would say you'd be in hell right now if you if you hadn't. Okay. And, and <laughs> I told work. you he had no tact, but he did have truth. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and he never gave up on me that entire mm. seventh grade year. And my life is different because that kid loved me enough to tell me about Jesus. Wow. And when I started pastoring, 
uh, I was 20 years old when I started pastoring. All I knew to do was to, to tell people about Jesus. Mm-hmm. I had no idea what I was doing otherwise, so right. why the church didn't fire me, I don't know. <laughs> but what we did do is we just went out in the streets and told people about Jesus. And we looked forward every Sunday to seeing somebody profess faith right. and be baptized. But I've watched over the years that it's really easy for that zeal, that fire to to be mm. quenched. Yeah. And we're not going to reach our neighbors in the nations without all of us sharing the gospel. Right. So if I can help be a part of that and turn churches in that direction, I want to I want to do that. That's good. Yeah, you want to have students who are not necessarily bullies at the classroom door, right? Yeah, that's right. But I want <laughs> I want if if that's what it takes for them to get busy doing evangelism, right. I we can work with it as long as they've started somewhere. That's right. So one of your real um, uh, interest points and real passions uh, is kind of not just the personal evangelism nature, one-on-one sharing the gospel, though we all are interested in that. But you've also invested a lot of your life and energy into the local church and the local church as a kind of an army of evangelists and and being uh, on mission together as a church. So um, I'm sure that comes from your years as the pastor, your mm-hmm. years in theological education. Can you talk a bit about the role of the local church in evangelism, the body itself, is that spreading the gospel? And what are some ways that uh, we might be able to look at our church and think, hey, we're doing a good job, or maybe we're struggling in some areas, or, or what, what might be some ways we can evaluate that? Yeah, you hit on the, the reasons for my thinking that direction. My, my theology sees the church as central to the spread of the gospel. Yeah. Uh, my pastoral experience says we have the privilege of raising up new believers to go out and share the gospel when they are most inclined to be in relationship with non-believers, and we can help them get there, and together we can extend the gospel and see God work. Mm-hmm. I, I want the church to love that, to long for that, and to and to experience that. But I do think that we we fail to ask questions to assess mm-hmm. whether or not we're doing evangelism. Yeah. So some things come to mind. I've written about this, but I can give you some, some questions that I think we have to consider. One is, what, what do the people in the pews in my church really believe about lostness? Yeah. I'm, I'm not convinced that, that everybody sitting in our pews believes that a, a personal relationship with Jesus is necessary for salvation. Wow. I think most folks would say in our, in our evangelical churches, they would say Jesus is the only way. Mm-hmm. But, but those same folks would say, well, I don't know about that person who's never heard. Yeah. Uh, my, my uncle who died, he was a good man. Surely he's mm. with God. I'm not, sure. I'm not sure we've done a very good job grounding people mm. in a theology that compels us to do, to, to do evangelism. Second, I would ask, are, are my people filled with wonder over Jesus? Okay. Uh, because what I, what I see in the scriptures is even when Jesus tells people not to go talk about him, they do it anyway. Right. <laughs> because when you're, when you're overwhelmed by what Jesus has done in your life, you naturally talk about it. Right. And, and what happens to all of us at some level is we're, we're born again with a zeal and a fire for Christ, and somewhere that declines mm. into mediocrity. Yeah. And we, we live out our lives in a stagnant way, and that's evidenced by the fact that we don't, we don't share the gospel. So I want us to ask, are my people filled with wonder over Jesus, or are they, are they just going through the mm-hmm. motions? Right. So mm-hmm. some of those questions I think, we have to, I think we have to ask. The other question that comes to mind right now is, I, I want to know whether or not my people actually know non-believers, mm. yeah. and they see them as, as sheep without a shepherd. Yeah. I, I think 
I think I can say with some accuracy that the longer you're in church and the higher you go up the leadership ladder in a church, yeah. the less likely it is you have significant relationships with non-believers. That's true. Yeah, that's true. We're, we're pulled into the bubble. And, and we're trying then to get people to do evangelism who aren't even connected with lost people mm. in the first place. And programs can't take us there. Right. We, we have to see people as lost without Christ, yeah. be broken over that, and want to do something about it. Yeah, yeah. You know, the thing I like about your the, 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 the list, the ideas that you've given, is you're evaluating a motivation for evangelism. You're evaluating uh, effectiveness in evangelism by something— bigger or more mm-hmm. significant than just counting the number of people that walk forward on a Sunday. Right, yeah, that's right. right. Uh, and it's actually, uh, I think, helpful because a pastor and a church staff uh, can do something about do your people know lost people. We can mm-hmm. do something about do your do the people in the pew realize the impact of lostness and darkness. We can do something about preaching the wonder of Jesus and, and rekindling that flame. Whereas we may not be able to do something about somebody walking down in front of the church. Right? We can't That's control right. salvation, but we can and are responsible to teach the Bible and to lead our people in worship in such a way that they can't help but say something. So we can actually do something about that, which then can lead to people walking down the aisle, people getting to the baptistry. Yeah, so in, in the way that you talked about it, uh, I'm, I'm hearing some of the language that I use when I talk to students in the class about this issue. Uh, transformative discipleship, or something that actually changes the way people do mm-hmm. things, right? It's it's got kind of a cognitive or a head component to it. It's got a an effective and a heart component to it, and then there's the behavioral side of it. And I think oftentimes when we run to our people in the church evangelistic, are we doing our work? We just run toward that behavior question and say, how many people are out there doing whatever they're doing? But what you're pointing to in the questions that you, were, you, you would use to assess is what do they believe about the gospel and the plight mm-hmm. of the lost? Mm. That's some cognitive stuff. Do they actually believe that? And then is their heart overflowing mm-hmm. with the gratitude for what has been done to them? So you have this kind of head, heart, and then a behavioral component as well toward assessing whether or not a church has actually uh, got the right culture, the right mindset about this whole thing. Yeah, you know, I've, I think it's right to ask the question, how many folks in our church have been trained to do evangelism? Right. Because I think, I think we do have to not just tell people to do evangelism. We have to sure. help them get there. Yeah. But at the same time, uh, you've hit on exactly what my concern is, Keelan. At the same time, I think sometimes we want to train people who've lost their fire over Jesus, and they don't know lost people in the first place, and then— then the training doesn't lead mm. to much, right. and we blame the program. Right. And then decide to go find another program. And I'm, I'm not opposed to programs. Sure. But programs work best when we have people who, who mm-hmm. are uh, amazed by Jesus, and they love lost people. Mm. The program just builds on that. And if we skip those first two elements, we're, we're not going to produce lasting evangelism in our, in our churches. Right. Yeah, so that's good. So when we think about about these elements, right? We're, we're evaluating our church. The church is, is the engine, the most important uh, body. We figure that we've kind of come up short, right? There's some areas mm-hmm. that, hey, we need to, to adjust that. Have you, over the years, have you come up with some, some best practices or ways of thinking, how do we strengthen evangelism in the church? Are there, are there some tools, some tactics maybe that church leaders can employ? Yeah, the first thing I would say is... The, the pastor who leads the church 
has to be evangelistic. Mm. I have never in in 25, close to 30 years of looking at churches, particularly in North America, mm. I have never seen a strongly evangelistic church without a pastor leading the way. Wow. I, I've, I've just yeah. never seen it. Occasionally, I see some pockets of right. people who are strongly evangelistic, but those who are really focused there get frustrated by pastoral mm, leaders right. who aren't there. Uh, and so I think it really does begin with if I'm if I'm the pastor and I'm not out telling people about Jesus, I'm not likely to encourage my people to do it. Right. They're not going to catch fire from me. And I and I think it has to start there. Second, I, I would say pastors have to be OK with training a few people at a time. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Uh, because we're not going to we're not going to change the whole church. Mm. I, I think w- wrongly we sometimes evaluate programs. I set up an evangelism training program, and I want my whole church to get involved. I want all my small group leaders to get mm. involved. So we set it up, and not many people come. We get really frustrated with that. Mm. And and I'm going to push against that to say we can either get frustrated by the many who don't come, or we can pour ourselves into the few who that's do a come. That's right. Uh, and I can rejoice that the few are there. And if I'm going to ignite a fire in my in my mm-hmm. church, I can do it with just a few right. people, and yeah. I want to do that. Yeah, sometimes you get too many. You're right. It's like That's there's right. So many That's right. that you can't really uh, can't really do. It. You know, I always get encouraged in my church when my pastor stands in the pulpit and says, "You know, this past week or over the month, I was sharing the gospel with this person." So I, I know that some pastors think that comes across kind of boasting and sure. bragging, and it probably is. Right as much your demeanor as it is the story, right? That's right. That's, that's true. Uh, but it's always encouraging to me when my yeah. pastor is able to say, when I was on the airplane or when I was in the store, I shared my testimony or something. And it's not that it always ends with, and then they fell on their face and trusted Christ. In fact, that very rarely yeah. is the end yeah. of the story. But it's, it's encouraging to me to hear that because I'm thinking, now he's doing it, they're doing it, we're doing it. It kind of moves us together. Yeah, even to even to talk about I'm praying for so and so. Would you yeah. join me in yeah. praying? Even that is saying to my church, my heart is focused on reaching lost people. Yeah, right. Yeah. So I think it's when I mean it's it's common, right, uh, to hear pastors. I uh, think nowadays, at least I, I've I've heard students say this, and when I was out at the association, I had pastors that would say this when we start talking about developing an outreach culture, right? That. Uh, it's my work to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. This is, of course, true. Uh, and we very often want to push back against what is another unhelpful idea, that it's the clergy or the professional staff's job to do the evangelism for the church. So if we're not careful that we swing the pendulum in the other direction, the pastor says, I'm too busy doing the other mm-hmm. work of the church to actually be involved or engaged in and lean into that verse about equipping the saints for that work. The thing I think that misses is that one of the best ways we equip is through the way we model. That's right. And we'd right. say that's true about prayer. We would say that is true about uh, even the way that we divide the word of truth from the pulpit, right? We teach people how to interpret the text and the way that we preach. And so modeling evangelism is the way you equip the saints for the work of evangelism. And so we can't pull those things apart, I don't think. No, I, I agree. And one of the one of my struggles with pastors is they they— look at evangelism, they talk about their evangelism, but their evangelism is limited to what they do from the pulpit Mm -hmm. or in the counseling room where Mm. people come to them. Yeah, that's right. And so our evangelism for pastors loses that personal component. Mm. I do it corporately as I preach, and I do it in counseling. Yeah. Uh, 
but I'm never going out and initiating a right. relationship and a conversation with, with non-believers. Right. I, I think it's insufficient for right. us to limit our evangelism to the pulpit and, and to our office. Yeah, right. yeah. So are there other uh, things that we can do to strengthen our church? We've talked about being uh, being satisfied, pouring into the few, let the few grow. We're talking about the pastor, uh, being the leader. Is there anything else that you would add to that list? Yeah, I do think we need to provide training. Yeah. But I think the training has to start with helping people just tell their story. Yeah, sure. Because we all we all have a story. We may, we may not know all the theological underpinnings, and we may not be able to answer all the questions that, that right. nonbelievers have. But we can all talk about what Jesus did in our life. And one of the things I really encourage churches to do is we need to start telling our story to one another. Mm. As I think about how many people are in our small groups, for example. Right. Yeah that we're with them all the time, but we don't know the story of how God saved them. That's a good point. That's so true. Uh, how many, I've been with families whose, whose kids don't know how their parents mm. became believers. I've been with church staffs where the, the pastors don't know the mm. stories of, of how God worked in their lives. Even as pastors, uh, we, we typically as pastors tell our story the weekend that the church is calling us. Wow. Because they ask us, tell me your testimony. Mm-hmm. But, we don't do that anymore, and consequently, we're not modeling even sharing our story. I, I'm convinced that if we would tell our story to one another more mm-hmm. in the safe place of the church, we're more likely to tell our story That's good. in the street. That's yeah. a beautiful so, point. So what I think, if I were pastoring again, here's what I would do. I would find some folks who can tell their story clearly and concisely, mm-hmm. which means I'm not going to I'm not just going to give a microphone to anybody. Right. Sure. Uh, but if they can if they can tell their story very clearly and I can record that, I'm going to use that probably a story in almost every worship service mm, we have. That's a good point. Because I want people to see the transforming power of the gospel. I'm going to take those same recordings and put them on my website, mm-hmm. stories of, of God's grace. Yeah. If, we can, if we can start telling the story to each other, mm. we'll tell it to lost people too. Yeah, there's such power in a personal testimony. You know, over the years... Uh, and I'm guilty of this. In fact, I went back um, a few months ago and read, uh, re- re-looked at uh, my book on evangelism, and I had this, the same kind of caveat that you put when you talk about the testimony. So like, share your testimony. But now remember, it's not everything. But over the, <laughs> you know, over the years, man, I've grown more and more convinced in the power of that story right. as a key tool, not just a sideways tool for evangelism. Agreed. And I would I would say, too, that we have not fully done evangelism until we've spoken the of gospel. Of course, certainly. I, that's that's certainly. critical to me. It's not just living our life. And there is certainly more than, than telling our story. But even the newest believer can, can tell his story. Exactly. And what our stories will do is they will often invoke questions mm-hmm. and a, a desire to know yep. more from yep. others. Yeah, that's and exactly if I can right. get them at least asking the questions, I can get them to people who have answers. That's right. Uh, but if I don't ever say anything, then I'm simply being disobedient. Right. That's good. Yeah, in fact, I'm sitting here kind of mildly convicted by all of this. So I'm leading a small group at our church now, and uh, we've you know had a, a decent bit of growth at the church. So we're starting up these new groups, and I'm leading one of these. And we've had our group together for, I don't know, six, eight months now, and we've not heard each other's mm-hmm. testimonies. And so now mm-hmm. I'm thinking immediately we're going to go start doing this, is maybe each week somebody's going to, as a portion of what we're doing together, share their testimony with everybody so that we get to know those and give people an opportunity to do that. Yeah, the way I put it is this. We're, we're sitting among trophies of God's grace. Mm-hmm. Every one of us is. Right. It's beautiful, yeah. 
but we don't even tell those stories. Right. And so if every week we hear a story of, here's what God did in this brother's life, in mm-hmm. this sister's life, I, I'm just convinced that that's going to push somebody to yeah. go out and talk about the goodness of Jesus. Yeah. yeah. You know, you start off saying that the, one of the reasons that we don't share is we're not consumed with the goodness and the glory of the gospel. Right. Nothing like hearing it recounted right. in the that's lives exactly. of people to motivate us about the goodness and the glory of the gospel, which then encourages us to share. And what a simple step. Yeah. That's right. That's right. This is this is not rocket science. Uh, you've written books on evangelism. I write a lot on evangelism. But at the end of the day, we got to bring people back to wonder right. over Christ and help them tell their story. We can build on that with the other strategies right. that we write about. But if we don't get them there first, then we're not going to get them where we want them to be. That's right. That's a great point. Yeah. In fact, I think that's a great final word for us I think today. So. Uh, pull everybody back to the wonder of Christ. If you want to strengthen your church in evangelism, there's probably no better place to start than that, right? Mm. Uh, well, Dr. Lawless, thank you so much for being with us today. It was a real encouragement to have an opportunity to talk with you about evangelism in uh, church practice and how we can assess that and how we can strengthen it. Uh, we really appreciate your time today. Thank you. It's been good to be with you. Thanks. And for those of you who are listening, thank you for doing that as well. We're really glad to have you uh, tune in and, and engage with our, our material. And so if there's something here that you think is helpful, be sure to pass it on to others and, and let others maybe in your church hear uh, this as well. You can find us in all the places that you find your social media. You can listen to us at all the places that you listen to your podcasts. And uh, again, thank you so much. This has been an episode of The Scent Life. Hey, before we get out of here, I actually want to grab everybody's attention back and talk to Scott about something for just a second. So, Scott, (laughs) you still here with me? What's going on here? So, you may not know this, or you may Mm -hmm. know this, but are you aware of what episode we're uh, recording? It's been a long time. So, this is for The Scent Life, episode 100. Wow. It is our centennial episode, (laughs) and now I've not been with us the whole time, but you have. You've been here from the very beginning, so I wanted to take just a second and us celebrate the fact that we've hit this milestone. I think it's a pretty important deal. Wow. Uh, So talk to us just a bit about where the the podcast idea originated, where it came from, why we're doing this kind of thing, and what we're hoping to accomplish with it. Yeah, what an amazing story. Testimony to our listeners who hung around for 100 episodes. It's been several years we've been at this thing. And, uh, you know, we kicked it off several years ago really with the idea of bringing in some guests, some experts, as we talked about uh, what it was like to live life on mission. The Scent Life is really a definition of who we are uh, as Christians Uh, You know, early on, we used to say that we serve a missionary God, we're God's missionary people, and therefore we live the sent life. And that's really what we've tried to do over the last, I guess, 100 episodes, right? We're trying to describe what it is for church leaders, for Christians in the United States and around the world, for missionaries, for church planters, uh, to live life on mission uh, in their community and around the world. Yeah, so it's been a neat ride as far as that's concerned. Uh, We've had a lot of opportunities to talk about different topics, and of course, this is not just our 100th episode. It's also the last episode for this season. Yeah. So if you're listening, uh, you just got to hear the final episode for us. We're landing the plane on that. I was really glad, actually. I thought it was fitting that for our 100th episode, we had the opportunity to uh, interview Dr. Lawless. It seems like a, a fitting way to close out what we're talking about there, and I just wanted to Take an opportunity, one, to say thank you to you, Scott, and the folk that started this thing up, Mm because I feel like it's been a a fruitful journey, 
I uh, pray that we have, you know, many more episodes sure. where we get to engage with our listeners. But we also wanted to take just a second and say thank you to those of you who have been listening with us. Some of you may have been here from the very beginning. Some of you may have picked it up last week. Uh, and to both sets, I'd say thank you for joining us for this because uh, it's been a fun ride. And we hope to see many more episodes and hope that you hang in there with us. And while we're talking about hanging in there with That's us. That's right. Uh, We've got one more quick announcement that I'd like to make before we finish out this season and this episode. So normally, we shut the whole thing down over the summers, Mm -hmm. and we pick back up with a new season at the beginning of every school year. Mm -hmm. And Now, we're still going to do that. We're still going to have a new season of The Scent Life, Scott and I doing Mm -hmm. what we normally do here and interviewing people, talking topics of missions, uh, particularly that pertain to the local church here in the States and how we engage in that work. And So we're going to continue that. But since we had some space over the summer, we realized there would be an opportunity for us to provide you with a bit of a bonus mini-series over the summer. There we go. Now, we'll get into the details of that in a couple of weeks, but I wanted to drop out just a bit of a teaser so that you'd know to be on the lookout here in a couple of weeks for a new episode of our mini-series on The Scent Life.